Welcome to this Strengthening Families and Communities Forum on today, um, May 29th, 2022. I'm so grateful you could join. Right now, I'd like to welcome uh, Stephanie Mann, and you can introduce yourself. And uh, we're so happy you could join us again for this very important um, topic on family strengthening, the benefit of you know, for children of true parents and welcome. Good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm so happy to be here. And I wanna thank Richard for uh, having this meeting and bringing people together. And uh, also Pastor Patricia, uh, I so en enjoyed what you had to say because I think all of this is a very important discussion. Probably the most important discussion she we should be having in this whole nation because the uh, decrease of the family is um, critical. And we need to uh, start a new conversation about how to turn this around. Uh, let me just introduce myself by saying I'm, uh, I'm a crime and violence prevention consultant. Uh, and I've been one now for, <clears throat> oh gosh, 40 years. Um, I'm uh, also the author of five books on family, home, neighborhood, and community safety. And uh, I host a show out of New York called, uh, it's on the AAU Media channel. And um, I just had the most incredible experience with meeting so many wonderful people that are really making a difference. What we hear from the media all the time uh, is nothing but negative uh, <laughs> information. And of course, I think we should have much more balance in the media uh, where we hear not just the bad news, but all the good stuff that people are really talking about and doing and helping each other. And it makes the media makes it sound like nobody cares. And there are a lot of people that care. Um, I, I think I will start off by telling you a little bit about myself because my story um, kind of, um, it's, it's more common than you might think in different ways. I was uh, born in what they call today a dysfunctional family. And uh, I'm a product of uh, a divorce. And um, my mother and father got divorced when I was 10. And my father, because my father was an alcoholic. And um, when I was, oh, oh, I guess I was about 12 or 13 when the live-in boyfriend uh, arrived. And um, then they decided when I was 15 to take me out of high school. I was a freshman in high school and um, moved, moved me uh, and, and the three of us went down to Mexico City. And my stepfather, he wasn't my stepfather then, but he was the boyfriend. Uh, he was a Washington DC politician. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it, it strikes me funny today about how many politicians we have today that are um, not as uh, honest as they should be. Well, um, they took off and left me in Mexico City and basically abandoned me when I was 15 and I didn't speak the language. Um, this is what you call a very dysfunctional family and I was a product of that kind of neglect. Well, um, when I didn't have enough money to pay for my room, because they put me in Mexico City College to study art. Uh, I should have been in, 
let's see, sophomore in high school, but I did, I wasn't. Anyway, um, when I didn't have enough money to pay my rent, um, I panicked. What, what do I do? What, what? And um, in Mexico City, they have little churches on the corner. Um, and so I took the bus back from Mexico City College and got off and went in this little church because I was not brought up in any church. Uh, I never, nobody ever talked about religion. So, um, but my grandmother had said to me one time, and this is why grandparents are so important. Uh, she said to me, if you ever have a problem, you need to turn to God and ask for help. So I remember sitting in that little church and I don't remember praying, but I remember when I left, I had a plan. And the plan was to go to the counselor at Mexico City College and tell her what was going on with me. What, what it, I didn't have any money. Uh, my landlady had said she wanted to throw me out on the streets. And uh, then I really began to panic. Well, uh, the, um, when I talked to the counselor or, you know, at the school, she said, oh, well, she said, you can be an interpreter and take people around and show them the sites in Mexico City. And I said, no, 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 I don't even speak Spanish. And she said, that's okay, we get Americans here. They don't speak Spanish either. Just do your homework. And she handed me a stack of books and said, and take these people around you know, Americans, and I'll send you some people and you can make some money and you can pay the rent. Well, at age 15, and I had been relatively shy, uh, this was, I thought, this is not a good plan. So um, uh, I did talk to one of my classmates and she said to me, you know, um, my uncle is a cab driver and maybe he will help. Well, to make a long story short, uh, I did that, I made some money. And when I told American tourists, that I uh, um, uh, was abandoned in Mexico City. They gave me big tips. So I was doing pretty well until um, a young man um, was said he was writing a book and he wanted to take uh, both my, the cab driver I was working with and myself. Uh, he wanted us to take them on a tour of the houses of prostitution uh, because he wanted to write a book about prostitution and and how this is coming about and so forth. Well, I, I was very reluctant and the cab driver, whose name was Juan, he said, oh, we'll take them on a trip they'll never forget. So as a result of that and going to different houses of prostitution, uh, I got back in the next morning and I was so sick because all of a sudden at age 15, I saw girls my age that were prostitutes. And I thought, if I don't have any money and my parents don't come back, my mother doesn't come back, what, what's going to happen to me? I panicked and then I got so sick. And this was God's providence, basically. I got so sick that they forced my mother to return to Mexico City and get me. So that's kind of the background I had. And um, as a result of that, I became a crime and violence prevention consultant because I became very curious as to why some people succeed uh, when they've had really bad stuff happen to them and why some people uh, take drugs and 
fall into all kinds of bad uh, places and even commit suicide. Uh, as a result of that, and working with the homeless, um, I did work with the homeless for about uh, four and a half years. And, it was, uh, and uh, one day, and I was working with Mother Wright at, in Oakland, California. And she was an amazing lady. Can you imagine she had 12 children and uh, she uh, was an abused wife. And there she was out every Saturday feeding the homeless uh, in what they called at that time, Old Man's Park. And, and uh, when I came out of the police department one day, uh, I got to know the um, uh, homeless men and they said they were going over to meet you know, with Mother Wright. And that's when I met her and started serving food uh, every Saturday. And uh, one day we did not have enough volunteers. So Mother Wright said to the group, do we have a volunteer and to come out of the line and help us serve food? Well, this young man stepped out and after we were cleaning up, uh, he said to me, can you help me? Now, my first thought was he wanted money. That's not what he wanted at all. He wanted to know, how do I change my life? How do I, uh, and he had been uh, a parolee from San Quentin prison. And he said, what do I need to do to change my life? Well, I didn't have a clue, but we sat and talked and talked. And one day he said, you know, I've been talking to the guys about what we're talking about. And he said, uh, they, uh, they, they wanna know what, how to change their lives. And I said, well, I wasn't gonna meet with a group of men out in the park. So I looked around the neighborhood and there was a little church on the corner called New St. Paul's Baptist Church. And uh, I said, well, James, if you can go over there and talk to uh, the uh, pastor at that church and get him, let us meet there, then let's, let's talk. Let's, let's, let's set up a support group. Well, we met Pastor Flamin Henry, a wonderful man. And he said he had been a, an abuser at one time. So he was the perfect um, support group for the, this group that we had. Well, the first meeting we had about 25 people and uh, some of them slept on the floor. The stench was awful. And I kept thinking, why am I doing this? And, uh, but, and, and I guess the first few meetings, we couldn't even get them to listen to us. They couldn't listen to each other. They were so angry. This is the key um, to changing lives, basically. It's a spiritual problem. Uh, it is um, when you're abused or neglected, um, anger sets in, frustration, anxiety, and uh, pretty soon you can't, you can't evolve. You can't become spiritually self-aware because you have these anger issues that uh, nobody's heard you, you don't feel listened to, and um, it becomes a, a kind of a cycle. Well, as we talk through these support groups and Pastor Henry and I gave us three, uh, three months, we said, well, we'll just see if we can make any progress with these guys. If we can, great. If we can't, you know, at least we gave it a try. Well, within three months, 
uh, we had about five guys get jobs and we got three of the guys into rehab that didn't think they had a problem. Now that's a small success, but it was a big success because we saw there is a lot of hope for all of us if we begin to understand that uh, child abuse and neglect, which costs taxpayers about $220 million a day in this country. So it is a huge problem. And as a result of listening to these young men uh, talk through their problems and uh, began to listen to each other, I identified some of the problems and I wrote them down and took notes and found out the, the things they never learned as children, never learned as children, basic stuff. And I put it in this book, it's called Empowerment Parenting, How to Raise Resilient Children Who Become Happy, Self-Reliant Adults. And, um, to, uh, and uh, this book has just been published it's my, this is empowerment parenting in Chinese. The Chinese people in Taiwan read empowerment parenting and they contacted me. And these books in Chinese are going to be used for their social workers, for 300 social workers to help the children in Taiwan. So um, what I'm saying about this is that this is basic stuff. This, anybody can do it. Anybody can help um, our families and help people grow stronger within themselves. Uh, support groups are incredibly important because people, especially after COVID, have felt very isolated and alone. Uh, they don't feel like, oh, and believe me, the most dangerous thing you can do uh, with a child is have them on the computer. Where the children are is where the predators are today. So we have to be extremely careful and make sure we give them the tools they need to keep their own lives safe. Um, one of the things that I think is uh, critical for all of us is are the, are the steps. Uh, number one, children that don't value themselves, that someone says to them, well, I, I did an after school class in, at, at Bret Hart School in Oakland uh, with using the uh, empowerment parenting. And as a result of that, I had all these kids, they caught on so quickly that, um, you know, in spite of people doing things to them, that they could take charge of their own lives because every single person, and I've learned this over the years, um, they already have the inner strength. They have talents, undiscovered talents. Uh, they have wisdom within themselves. They have intuition. We're all born with this. Um, they have their instincts. And I can't tell you as a crime prevention uh, consultant, I can't tell you how many uh, people would come in to talk to me and they'd say, I can't believe I let that man in my house to use the phone because they were raped. Um, their intuition told them and their instincts told them, this doesn't feel right. And one, some of the things I tell kids 
Um, if something doesn't feel right to you, make sure uh, you pay attention to it because your gut is your protection. Uh, we had a young girl in the class that was walking down the street and um, we had had the class on, you know, listening to your gut. And of course, don't walk around with a cell phone in your hand. Uh, so you're not paying attention. And she was walking down the sidewalk in the street and a car pulled up in front of her and she noticed that the man got out and walked around and opened the door on the passenger side and she was getting closer and she, she felt this something's wrong here. So he grabbed her as she stepped closer. Now she's only 12 years old, but he grabbed her and she slipped out of her backpack and she'd already thought about this, slipped out of her bad backpack and ran away. But that she had the intuition and the instincts to say to herself, this does not feel safe to me. This does not look right. Uh, we had a lot of different uh, instances of people that do pay attention. Um, uh, we had a little girl in a class, our class that was supposed to go home uh, at, uh, or, you know, her father was supposed to pick her up and she would go home with him. But one day, everybody left the class and she was still sitting there. And I said, uh, is your dad coming to pick you up? And she said, no, I'm supposed to take the bus because he has to work on the car. The car isn't working right. And I said, well, uh, oh, are you going to leave? And she said, no. she said, I'm scared. And I said, what are you scared about? And she said, last time I took the bus, I have four blocks to walk when I go home. And she said, I uh, had a man stop me and, and ask me my phone number. And she said, I gave him a wrong phone number and then I ran. And she said, I don't wanna walk again. And I said, okay. I said, all right. Now as a teacher, I'm not allowed to drive her home, right? Well, I don't care, I'm driving her home. I drive her home and uh, her father was underneath his car fixing it. And uh, I said to the father, um, uh, let me explain why I drove your daughter home. And he was so grateful that I brought her home. And he said, why didn't you tell me about this? You know, this is where communication is so important between children and parents because they need to talk to each other and she should have told her, her uh, father uh, about being scared, but she, she didn't. Um, so um, it, it's, I'm, I'm gonna give you a, a thought about how to improve communication at home because I'd like to have you spread the message. Uh, have a listening chair in your home. Um, and I mean by that, uh, when children feel that something they're upset about or they've had a fight with their siblings or they don't know how to handle something, um, improve the communication by saying to the kids, if you have a problem, just sit in this chair. Anytime you do, everybody's gonna stop and listen. We're not listening to our children and we really need to improve that um, because when the kids sit in the chair, they feel empowered uh, they don't go to bed angry uh, and 
anger and frustration. Uh, we're seeing that everywhere where there's too much anger and children are, and, and these are young children, um, the 18 year old, the mass shootings, uh, we have to empower our kids today because they're not getting the message that they have this amazing spirit within themselves. They can take charge of their lives and uh, how to remain spiritually centered. Uh, let me just say that we talk a lot about bullies. There are bullies and there are victims. And there are spiritually centered children in the center. These are the children, and I put a prayer together on this one. Um, these are spiritually centered children that do not become a bully or a victim. So we need to have more spiritually centered children. And this is where the church is a very important component for all of us. Uh, how to stay spiritually centered so that we don't become so angry. Uh, we're seeing what, a couple of summers ago, and who knows what's gonna happen this summer, but we have uh, young people that are out there destroying property, looting. We're raising children without a conscience. We have 365,000 churches in America. I'm gonna say that again, 365,000 churches in America. And why do they not unite and have a voice and talk about the power of the human spirit? The power of the human spirit is amazing. Uh, we all have this power within us and when we, we have children committing suicide, they think they're nothing. They think they're, it's over. Uh, one, and, and it's the smallest thing that could be, or the biggest thing that could be affecting their lives. And yet they have this feeling that nobody needs me, nobody cares. And this is also where we need to work with our neighbors. Uh, we used to be community. And it's not that difficult to bring neighbors together. One of the things I would recommend that all of us do in our own neighborhoods, that's a place to start because the churches could be incredibly powerful doing this. And that is reaching out to our neighbors. Now, a lot of people feel, oh my gosh, you know, I don't have nice neighbors or I have this problem or I have this and, or I don't wanna know my neighbors. Well, the people in the church that talk about love thy neighbor have got to do more than sit in church and talk about love thy neighbor. They really need to get out and at least meet the neighbor. And it's pretty simple, ask three questions. One question is, um, have you been a victim of crime? You'll have a nice little conversation about that. Maybe they have, maybe they haven't. Uh, what is your biggest concern in the neighborhood? That could be, well, I have a pothole and that really needs to be fixed because I'm afraid we're gonna you know, mess up our cars in the neighborhood or maybe it's the drug dealer down the street. I know about this drug dealer or I know about the prostitution going on, but I'm isolated. There's nothing I can do. True, as an individual, we can do nothing, but as a group of neighbors, you are powerful. We have the most powerful neighborhoods if we would take our power back. 
because there is so much more all of us can do about this. Um, let me give you a story. Um, in San Pablo, California, uh, a lady came into our office and said, I am so angry. Uh, the city council wants to put a fence around Davis Park, a fence all the way around Davis Park. And because there were so many drug dealers were in the park and they didn't have the police resources to get the park cleaned up. So she was very angry about the fact that um, here was this beautiful park. It used to be beautiful. Now it was a mess. And um, she wanted somebody to clean it up. Well, uh, we suggested to her, instead of you know putting the fence up, perhaps the neighbors could go out and start taking down descriptions um, without being noticed, uh, descriptions, license numbers, time of day, and information, maybe just walking the dog, uh, watering the grass, just doing playing chess in the park, whatever and uh, start documenting what they're seeing and even taking some pictures without being noticed. Well, it took about three months and they had given the police so much information that the park was now cleaned up. Uh, the drug dealers were gone and, um, you know, and so were the customers because they reported the customers. So they went back to city council and they said, as a result of our working and to clean up the park, we would like to have um, some new swing sets, the money we're gonna use for the fence, we want new swing sets and tables for the park. And uh, their request was granted. So what I am saying is as individuals, yes, cleaning up our communities, uh, it's not gonna happen. If we're socially isolated, it's not gonna happen. But if we wanted to really create change and we work with our neighbors and love thy neighbors, uh, we can turn these cities around. Uh, it's not gonna be the police. Remember, the police are a, a militaristic organization. They have their captains and their lieutenants and their sergeants and whatever, uh, but you have free will. Uh, you and I working with our neighbors can make a lot of good things happen. So, um, and one of the things I would personally recommend if we want to change our communities, uh, it's not going to be just us uh, as neighbors doing it. We need trained neighborhood safety experts. And that means people that are trained right out of the community that speak the language of the community, that look like the community, and uh, um, they go back and help neighbors get organized. Because if we don't get organized as uh, neighbors and work with each other, things are not gonna change. Um, also, there's a real check and balance on children's behavior in the neighborhood. Uh, it used to be that people would call up their neighbors if you know young kids were making problems, you know, creating problems in the neighborhood, they'd call up the parents and everybody would correct the children. Now we've let the children run wild. <laughs> and look at the results of this. This is rather pathetic. It is sad to see 
because children are children. If they don't have guidance in a positive way, they're gonna have their own guidance in a negative way. That's called the human spirit, unfortunately, but that's where we are and that's how we can turn things around. So um, I would love to work with anybody that really wants to um, see some community change and love to talk to them about how to and what kind of training is needed for neighborhood safety experts, because this isn't rocket science. Um, it's not that difficult. And people love interacting with each other. On, our, on my website called safekidsnow.com, uh, we have videos and I've interviewed people that have gone door to door in neighborhoods. Uh, for example, uh, Pastor James in San Francisco, he and his congregation broke up, went around the neighborhood and um, talked to neighbors. They had incredible uh, meetings. Some, some people don't come to the door, okay? Some people may even slam the door in your face. It's okay. It, it's, what, it's the people that say, yes, I will help that are gonna change that neighborhood. You don't need everybody. So it's, uh, they were so excited and I did some interviews and those are on my uh, video channel um, in, um, the, uh, on safekidsnow.com. I'd love to take some questions. Well, I have one thought. Um, I used to work in my neighborhood. I'm not currently. So now I'm in a more rural area, but I, used to, I lived for 33 years in Washington, D.C. in the city. And I worked with um, actually the founder of, I'm sure you're familiar with it because you work in like uh, community violence prevention, the Orange Hats. And his name was Ed Johnson. And he organized people in neighborhoods. So we thought, I asked him to come over to our neighborhood and we would get with some neighbors and stand around the corner with orange hats, not just stand around, we walk around and kind of like it was for crime prevention, but also just people were getting to know each other a little bit. Um, it was a good thing. I don't know if totally it, uh, and it, you know, we also were like in touch with the police, but basically, like you said, it was a community oriented. I don't know. I guess I just thought if you had any thoughts on that, I'm not sure even if it's still going in DC that much. But at that time it was, and it was helpful to do that. You ever have any thoughts on that or experience that kind of group, so-called orange hats? Oh yes. Um, you know, Neighborhood Watch has been around a long time. And, um, you know, one of the things that, about Neighborhood Watch was that the connotation, well, let me just say this. Um, in my community, uh, we had, oh gosh, a crime wave and 17,000 citizens and uh, a, a group of, just a small group of people, like a church group, but it wasn't. It was just a group of people that wanted to do something about the crime wave because we didn't have a police department. And we reduced our crime rate 48% within two and a half years. Um, so, you know, uh, the police react to crime, citizens prevent it from happening in the first place. So, you know, all of these groups that are working, and they are spotty all over the place, uh, they need to um, be, you know, working together and strengthening each other and moving out and hopefully uh, getting the whole community involved. Because when I mentioned about Davis Park, those, those drug dealers moved from that park probably to some other park in the community because they were not organized. So, um, 
you, you can't just stop it in one place. You have to have the whole city involved. And this is where we need to have city leadership. Uh, they wanna talk a lot about guns. And as you know, guns don't just shoot people without people behind these guns. And it is the crisis within, within that individual that has created the problem of gun violence and mass shootings. So we have, we, it shouldn't just be one neighborhood at a time. It should be to start at the top with city leaders talking about how important it is for all, for the whole community to take responsibility for their own safety. And that discussion has not happened. So it has, it's been spotty and that's great, but it needs to spread. Thank you. Yes. Some of the other uh, the comments or thoughts for um, Stephanie. Uh, yes, yeah, Stephanie, thank you for that wonderful presentation and, and the um, tremendous work that you're doing. I was very interested in what you said about uh, spiritually centered children and, and the spiritual principles you alluded to uh, throughout your talk behind some of the activities you're, you're, you're doing. Um, I, I, I imagine that in your book, uh, Empowerment Parenting, uh, you talk a lot about how, how to create a spiritual, how, how to raise a spiritually centered child. But could you say broadly something about the, the way in which uh, you, you bring spiritual uh, principles into the community work as well? Um, well, um, okay, about, about the book, the spiritual principles within the book. Um, I had a, a biblical scholar look at, at empowerment parenting, and they identified 72 scriptural um, um, things that were happening in the book. This is not a, about this is not about a church. It right. is about the power of the human spirit, and um, she identified the 72 things in the book that related to the Bible. Um, I actually have that on my um, safekidsnow.com. If you go in to uh, look at uh, books, and then you, it says, um, let me see where that is. Um, oh, all you have to do is go and see Empowerment Parenting. Click on that, and it'll show you uh, Christian, uh, and it'll show you where all of those um, that information that's biblical that is in this book that isn't say bible i i want people to know i want people to know that every child and every person is a spiritual being and they don't know this yet for some reason um we haven't gotten that message across with all of our churches and now they're trying to shut down the church in some places uh which is very uh concerning because uh, the church it has been such a guidance uh, for the power of the human spirit, but people have to understand that they already have this power. The church is a support system for the human spirit. It shouldn't be everything. It should be a support system for that. I don't know. Did I answer your question, Michael? Uh, yes, you did. Thanks. Thanks very much, Stephanie. I, I'm, I look forward to, uh, to looking at the book and your site. I'm not really here to sell a book. I just want you to know that everybody uh, really needs to know. And let me just say the simple things in here are, 
and here's a big one that a lot of people don't seem to understand. And that is, let me put on my glasses, um, things like, and this is what the homeless men didn't understand, recognize how special you are. Um, when people don't feel good about themselves, um, it, it, we need to bring lift people up. Mm. And uh, we tell you how to do that. And then discover strength through pain. Mm. Everybody experiences pain. Now, how do we how do we get past that and say uh, I can grow stronger as a result of having this pain in my life? And then how to uh, handle anger in a positive way? Uh, anger is one of the biggest things that's holding us back because when you don't know how to handle your anger, it can take over your life, and then pretty soon you're into rage. And these mass shooters, they keep asking, what motivates these mass shooters? I can tell you what motivates them. Their anger. They've been socially isolated. They're watching stuff on their computer that's not bringing them up, but knocking them down. And they feel rage. Anger can move into rage and rage can, uh, pretty soon you feel so angry with things in your life. You begin to say, nobody cares about me. Why should I care about you? And when I don't care about you, I can kill you with a gun and I want you to feel the pain I feel. And the best way for you to feel that pain is to take out these children. That has to stop, mm. but it's not going to stop by just putting, we got 300. Well, I told you 300,000, 350,000 guns in this country. And I asked a nine-year-old one time, how long would it take? Could you find a gun in this community? And he said, it'd take me about 20 minutes. And he's a freshman in high school. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, if, if people want to find a gun, they're going to. Um, yes, I don't think they should be able to buy assault weapons, but that's just me. Um, and it's a lot of other people too. But I do think that we need to do a whole lot better job about talking about the power of the human spirit. Because unless we do, um, this isn't going to change. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Okay. You're welcome. Um, and thank you, Richard, because I appreciate what you're doing and uh, helping people to understand that this is a much bigger problem than just a gun or, you know, violence. We've, we've got to, the human spirit is uh, something we really need to talk about. Agreed. So totally agreed. I mean, our value, you know, our, our God given value. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Okay, well, next up, um, we have yours truly.